Hello and welcome to the Word with Webb podcast. I'm Eric and I'm here with Pastor Richard Webb. Hi. In this show, we get a chance to nerd out on a variety of biblical topics with Pastor Richard. We're going to have way too much fun today. First of all, before we get started, uh, thank you so much for tuning into this episode. Um, I'd like to ask you a quick favor. Our mission here at Hope is to reach out to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. So if you could take a second and rate and review the show and maybe send it to a friend, that's one thing you can do to help us reach more people. So with that, let's go ahead and get into it. This episode, we're doing our Q&R, so I'm really excited. Uh, It's going to be a little bit different, but we're going over kind of the questions that a lot of people have sent in over the first about five episodes. What do we got here? We've got, uh, we did baptism, Mm -hmm. creation, the Trinity, the gospel, and sin. Um, So we had a lot of people send in questions. We're going to try to get it to as many as we can. Uh, So if your question is not answered, we're going to try to do that in a future episode, but we're going to try to hit a lot of them today. They're going to be so cool. I mean, we got some like hyper nerdy, but then we got some really good and easy ones. So we're going to go all over the place. Yeah. Yeah. And so let's just jump into it because we've got so many. We may as well... Mm -hmm. um, Hit the first one. So the first one um, is asking about tips or how do we get in the mind of the original audience? What is a good source that you use to research verses or background context for areas of the Bible? Because that's one thing we've been talking a lot about is how do we, how did the original audience understand these mm-hmm. things? So what, how would you respond to that? How do you help people get into that right mindset? Well, I would say there's probably three. Well, I'd say four. We'll go with four. Um, Some of them are a little more academic than others. Um, My go-to for practically everything these days is the BibleProject.com. And the reason why is it's amazing accessibility, and it ranges over historical background. Um, The other thing is it's completely free because it's crowdsourced. So it's BibleProject.com, and then just look at videos, but there's also podcasts. There are some graduate-level courses, um, and then there are also articles and then references to to books. Um, So you can get everything from a little five- to seven-minute video all the way to some pretty deep stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one. The other is this series, and I actually got this from the Bible Project by a guy named John Walton. He's an Old Testament prof at, at, at Wheaton. And he has this Lost World series. And so he has the Lost World of the Old Testament, the Lost World of Genesis 1, the Lost World of Adam and Eve, the Lost World of the Torah, and, and it continues. And each one of them, the Lost World is literally the historical context. Mm-hmm. In other words, what generated the literature? He, he assumes God is behind it, but what historical moment generated it and how did God use it? And what is it speaking to if it's speaking to something? Um, so I find those wonderfully helpful. Um, and that, that Lost World mm-hmm. of Genesis 1 is, is one of my favorite books mm-hmm. I've ever read on uh, anything in the Bible. So I can... I can agree with that one. There we are, a proud guy killed customer. Yeah. You yeah. Know. Um, the other is the For Everyone series, which uh, we actually sell in our church's bookstore. It's published by uh, John Knox Press. It's the Presbyterian Publishing House. And the Old Testament is authored by um, John Goldingay. So it's a commentary series. And, and again, they, they do all kinds of historical background. And the New Testament is authored by one of my favorites, uh, N.T. Wright. Um, they're about 16 bucks a whack and 9.95 if it's Kindle, the mm-hmm. usual price. Mm-hmm. Um, then um, 
both N.T. Wright and John Goldingay have written their own uh, backgrounds, and the more uh, detailed they get, the more scholarly they get. That's sort of just a little warning there. Um, but if, if you're a nerd, uh, that'll keep you happy for a while. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and, and one thing I found kind of back on the Bible Project uh-huh. is on their website, they have their recommended readings. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times if you have... Uh, you know, a specific topic that you're looking for, you can s- flip through their library that they've used to yeah. put together their information, uh, and you can find some good ones in there. I know um, John Walton's in there a lot. Oh, yeah. So, and, and you can trust that. Those are good, solid theologians. Tim Mackey and, and John are, are just good. Yeah. So that was three of them. Did you have a fourth? That was Bible Project, For Everyone series, the Lost World series. Oh, yeah, and then the commentaries by John Goldingay and N.T. Wright that are published. Oh, the- Yep, and, and again, with both of them, you can go all the way to heavy academic works to things that I would call for the educated congregational member. Okay, sounds good. Let's move on to the second question. This has to do with our uh, baptism episode, uh, first one, the baptism episode. Um, it's a question about John 3, 5, which says, uh, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. First question on that. Does this verse teach baptismal regeneration, which is baptism being necessary for salvation? Um, Jesus told Nicodemus that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We'll, we'll start with that question mm-hmm. um, and go from there. Ah, yes. Because um, one of the things we talked about, sorry mm-hmm. to kind of cut oh, you off there, it, was, was, um, was baptism, is baptism required for salvation, mm-hmm. basically? Yeah, and, and this is a very interesting thing. I want to, first of all, separate the doctrine of baptismal generation from the doctrinal position that it is baptism is necessary for salvation. Those are two independent debates, so I, don't, I want to unlink them. For example, Lutherans are baptismal genera- regenerationalists. You know, we believe, along with 1 Peter 2 and 3, that baptism saves you. It's in the Bible. But we don't believe baptism is necessary for salvation. Uh, and typically, babies encounter salvation in baptism, and adults encounter salvation in the hearing of the Word. And then baptism becomes a, a second encounter with God. Um, so, you know, that frustrates people because it's like, well, you didn't really answer my question. Yes, I did. Um, yes, baptism saves you. So does the preaching of the Word. So does the reading of Scripture. So do people talking to other people about Jesus. So, and a lot of that is our theology of baptism is... Baptism, communion, preaching, teaching, and, and, and conversations about the Word uh, in all its various forms, we call moments of proclamation, in other words, where God's Word is proclaimed, and we believe any of those moments of proclamation are saving moments. Um, and so that, that's a little different than some of the, the debates. So that's why we can say that baptism is not necessary for salvation, but it saves you. So if I'm hearing this right... It, it... There's one way of thinking about when he says baptism saves you as, oh, baptism is the one thing that saves you, and what mm-hmm. you're saying is it's one of the things that saves yeah. you. Yeah, And again, we always have to add, what are we being saved into? Is this just a little afterlife thingy? Uh, well, yes, but it's more importantly, what you're saved from is your own dead-ended life, and you're saved into a journey with Jesus that starts right now. Uh, that's why when Jesus approached his disciples, he didn't say, pray this prayer. He said, follow me. Mm-hmm. So salvation is following Jesus for eternity, and that's what you're baptized into. Now, a lot of people, when they discover that, are not so sure they like what they've been baptized into, but that's for them to decide. Yeah. 
So kind of to go along with that, there was mm-hmm. a, a second part to this question was, what does Jesus mean when he re- referred to being born of water? Mm-hmm. Honking huge debate. Uh, most genera- most baptismal regenerationalists would be Catholics, Lutherans, Orthodox, some Episcopalians, some Presbyterians, some Methodists. Um, we would also, yeah, that's water baptism. Um, most on the other side, which tend to be adult baptizers, for whom baptism is not a God encounter, but rather it's a witness ceremony of what you have done to become saved. I grew up Baptist, so I remember I first made a decision for Christ, and once the elders were convinced I had, then I could be baptized to demonstrate to the community that I had made a decision for Christ. Um, so the direction is reversed. So baptismal in baptismal generationalism, it's God who's doing all the work, in uh, in a, ex- churches that do exclusively adult baptism, who don't agree with that, uh, it is the baptismal person who is engaging in a witness ceremony of what they have done. Um, so that, that's just important to know that 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 one goes one direction from God to the person being baptized, the other one goes the other direction where the person being baptized is demonstrating something that's happened in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, they're giving witness to their prior decision. So um, we talk, can, I just went on a rabbit trail. So can you reiterate that question? Well, he, he said, what does Jesus mean by referring to being born of water? Uh, and mm-hmm. and so it sounds like what you're saying is it does refer to baptism. Um, but like you said previously, it's, mm-hmm. it's one of the ways of experiencing yeah. salvation. Or, mm-hmm. um, now, here's where it gets interesting, uh, because I said that's the position we necessarily take as baptismal regenerationalists. Mm-hmm. That word is so easy to trip over. But if you start looking at Scripture, it gets messy, because I think the other side has a point because water can also mean physical birth. Because, in other words, you don't see the kingdom unless you are born of water and the Spirit. The, the, analogy, the analogies, if you, if you keep looking at the way uh, the speech is structured uh, when Jesus is talking, the parallels seem to be physical birth, new birth. So they may actually win that argument if you're talking about just this passage. Um, I would probably never use John 3 to develop a theology of baptism. It's, it's too fuzzy. Okay. I would go to other places. And kind of like you've said previously, creating a whole theology based on one, one verse, we, we, we mm-hmm. want to look at the, yeah. the yeah. whole thing and the whole context of it. So I wonder, um, my, my question to this would be, when, when Jesus talks about being born of the water, mm-hmm. we talked about what baptism did, mm-hmm. what it is, yeah. um, one of those things being identified with a people group. Yep. It's a cleanliness ritual. Mm-hmm. It, it was. Yeah. So he's talking to a, a Jewish person. Mm-hmm. Is he is he almost taking the, the that definition of being associated, being a, being a member of, of Israel, mm-hmm. being a member of the church, mm-hmm. um, and being, allowing God to clean mm-hmm. you as part of that? or He well could. This is why, uh, you know, I'm now going to contradict myself. And while I don't think I would draw a straight line to water to baptism, I wouldn't draw no line. Okay. In other words, whenever, I mean, again, one of the principles is in Western literature or just in Western communication, we like to pin words down. What exactly do you mean? What is the one meaning you're trying to convey? Because words have many meanings. So which one are you using mm-hmm. here? And the emphasis is on which one. Yeah. Where in, in Hebrew communication, the idea is to just use that word for all it's worth. 
So the question would be, how many meanings do you mean rather than which one meaning do you mean? So you see the word like water and you might as well just, you know, start wringing that sucker out and see how much water you can get out of the water. <laughs> so allusions to the Exodus, allusions to cleanliness ritual, allusions to baptism, and allusions to the water that comes from physical birth. I'm guessing Jesus is probably pointing to all of them and working that sucker. Likewise, spirit can go to the Holy Spirit, which is, he's definitely pointing to, but also the breath of God, which gives life. So then we get an increased definition that, that it's God's life-giving spirit that was given to humans at creation, but now is given to humans at recreation. What's given to every baby at birth is now given to adults at rebirth. And, and, and so you get this really thick thing going on, well, because they're Jews, and they just, this is the way they talk and communicate. And, you know, we're too busy pinning it down to one specific meaning, and, and that's why when we argue, well, does this refer to, to baptism, it's like, yes, and. Yeah. Or not exclusively, you know. It's almost like, you know, one of the reasons that Jesus taught in parables was mm -hmm. that he wanted people to discuss, and, and it, it hid the meaning from some people. Yeah. He said mm -hmm. that. Um, but he wanted people to have these conversations about, well, what exactly did he mean? Yeah. And would that be accurate to say, like, maybe he was using a lot of these different angles so that mm -hmm. people would discuss it and kind of uh, work yeah. out the meaning together in, in community with yeah. other people. And it wasn't just Jesus who would do that. This would be the strategy of any good rabbi. Mm. Is The point is not to feed your disciples answers. The point is to get them to ponder so they begin to probe the topic you're helping them process and begin to... And, and the result is not an answer, but wisdom. It's mm -hmm. really important. Scripture is all about wisdom. Now, that still means, you know, um, there are still things that are discreet, like this is that. But even if, if Jesus comes out and says, this is this, he usually still wants you to ponder it. Yeah. So that's a, a very important thing. Again, what, what I think is when you see something like baptism, you're seeing the train wreck of, well, you're seeing a train wreck caused by the locomotive of Western thinking that wants to pin it all down with the locomotive of Jewish thinking, which wants to open it all up. Mm. Interesting. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next question. Mm -hmm. um, in the creation episode, mm -hmm. talked about um, the building of the tabernacle being mm -hmm. kind of an analogy of creation or, yeah. or mm -hmm. a, another creation story. Um, can you get a little more into that and explain that in a little more detail? Yeah, uh, a couple things. One is let's remind ourselves that there's no special word for God's house in Hebrew. So it's in English that we use separate words for the house that a deity would live in. So one of those words is temple, and when it's a, temp a temporary place like a tent, then it's tabernacle. Um, and where in Hebrew, uh, what tabernacle literally is is just tent. You know, God, God, God goes camping with the rest of Israel, and that's actually very important. So God's living in a tent, so is everybody else. Then when we move into it, we move into the land. Everybody else is living in a house. God lives in a house. So the, the, the we ha, we separate them with special words because of who's living there, not because the building is special. So that's the first thing. So where we see this is in Genesis one at the very end. Um, but if you were to look at the whole thing, it looks like God is building a house. And then when we get to humans, God is creating the staff that's going to take care of the house. And then at the very end, God moves in. 
And this parallels a lot of other stories from other ancient Middle Eastern cultures where they have where there are creation stories where the deity builds a temple and then the and the temple is creation and then the deity creates humans and the, one of the jobs of the humans is to take care of the temple. Usually those stories are to explain what the priest is doing. So then what the priest is in those other religions is a model human and says, see how I am serving this God and feeding this God and keeping this God happy. Everybody needs to do the same thing. And in really nasty cases, let's come and feed our, you know, this, this God our children because this God is hungry. That would be Malach. Mm-hmm. Um, something different is going on. Now the form is taken, so God has inspired a writer to, to take that form of, of a deity as building a temple, and then the humans are the priests. But for very different reasons, instead of appeasing the god, which would be the role of the priests and other uh, cultures, the role of the humans is to rule with God. And that's a... So when it says to rule and subdue, that's a big shocker. The other one is in our image. Never, ever, ever in other, any, other, in any other myth would humans be thought to be the deity's image. This is a brand new way of thinking. So one of the major things we see is God will take a way, a pattern or a story form from another culture and then twist it so that it kind of alerts the reader, oh, this is different. Um, we get a very similar thing going on in Genesis 2, where the tree of life looks like the place where the deity would dwell. Um, but then what are the humans to do? Um, well, again, there's, there's, there's patterns, but the strange thing is the humans are to enjoy the deity. Um, they're to have a friendship with the deity. That's weird. So by using the forms of God building a temple, and then the humans wind up being the priests uh, who serve God, uh, and, and then God moves into the temple, which is at the end when God rests, that word means move in, um, and then we know that God's already in in the second creation account. Uh, where he's walking around with them. We find that out when they rebel, that he comes on his evening walk and he can't find them. Um, and so uh, both, in both cases, the, the stories have been somewhat subverted from uh, you know, the way other cultures would tell them. Now, how does that connect with Temple Tabernacle? Those buildings, or the tent, were meant to point back to the creation story. So instead of it being the creation stories talking about the temples, the temples are talking about the creation story. So if you were to go to the inside of either the tabernacle or, or temple, there would all be all these paintings of trees, and there would be all these sort of Eden images. So it was to mi- remind you of the original situation. And that's kind of like if we wanted to get into a whole other episode to get into the details of yeah. of building of the tabernacle and, and what, yeah. why that stuff matters. But um Let's go ahead and move on to the next question mm-hmm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, this one we're going to kind of compare some together because they're all, I think, kind of similar with the creation episode. Um, how was God created and where did he come from? Mm-hmm. And then also along those lines, mm-hmm. who was Cain's wife and where did she come from? Mm-hmm. Um, that's They're all kind of mm-hmm. getting into like logistics of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about dinosaurs as well? So uh, all, those, all those questions paired together. Yeah about creation. Yep. Uh, now we're getting back into that big locomotive, those two locomotives heading toward each other, you know, uh, Hebrew thinking and, and Greco-Roman thinking. The question of how was God created and where did he come from is a question of cause and effect. 
In other words, who made God or what made God or what started God, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and again, these are interesting because Aristotle wrestled with this. And so he had to use language within the Greco-Roman way of thinking. So he referred to God as the uncaused cause or the prime mover. Um, and, and his uh, his attempt was to say or um, that, that nothing caused God. You know, so God is not an effect of some prior cause. Mm-hmm. So, so you can tell already the Greeks think of God has always been there. Um, Hebrews also agreed with that. God has always been there, but for very different reasons. You ask the Greeks why God has always been there, and they'll point to all the fancy thinking of Aristotle and other philosophers. If you ask the Hebrews uh, why God has always been there, say because that's what he told us. Once again, the, the Hebrew definition of God is the sum of all of God's stories with his people, including what God has said. So part of what God has said and does, has, has done is saying, I have always been there. And, and again, this really messes with us and our understanding of time because the idea of something always existing doesn't make any sense to us. Mm-hmm. So we have all these fancy theories about how God transcends time and space, or my favorite is, is, is a mystical one that says, um, um, you know, that, that with God, all things are at once. I just love that. I'm not sure it's true, but I love mm-hmm. the idea. Um, a Jew would probably go, why are you fussing with that? Just know God is here. He always has been, and he's always going to be. And so they would actually, the function of God's eternal existence in both directions for them would be less about a metaphysical speculation and more about his promises. Mm -hmm. This is a God with a track record, and this is a God who is with us now, and he's not going anywhere ever. It's kind of like in the creation episode, I remember you talking Mm -hmm. about that we're worried about the how and mm-hmm. what, and they mm-hmm. were wor- the Hebrew mind is worried about the who and the why, yeah. right? Yep. And so, is that kind of getting along these? Like, we're we're a little too focused on the yep. the what and the how, whereas there because yep. you just mm-hmm. said they're they're not even wondering about that. Yeah. In other words, you know who's been there forever and who's going to be there forever is someone who has promised to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, when you think about it that way, doesn't that just like gloriously mess with you? Mm-hmm. You know, as my, as my daddy ain't going nowhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, wow. Now all of a sudden the doctor of eternity has got some skin on it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned two other questions, and I'm going to kind of bundle them together. Who was Cain's wife? Obviously. And, well, mm-hmm. and just to kind of give a little context for, mm-hmm. for the listener on that, yeah. Cain's wife thing is, so if there's Adam and Eve and they have Cain and Abel, uh-huh. and those are the only four people in the world, right, then then who is there for Cain to marry is, yep. is mm-hmm. kind of the question about where did she come from, not who is she, right? Yeah, yep. And, and then the other is, what about the dinosaurs, which I think is related. This is really important because according to Scripture, after Cain kills Abel and then goes off and, and marries a wife and has a kid and builds a big old city, um, then we hear about the third child of Adam and Eve, Seth. So they're on their third kid. <laughs> Wait a second. Where did all these other people come from? And this is also connected to when Cain's all upset because he's going to be a wanderer. And he, he says, you know, wherever I go, people will kill me. And God says, no, I'll, t- I'll protect you. Mm-hmm. Which, again, we talked about this before, but the last word of God about Cain's murder is he's going to protect Cain. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that just like grace? Mm-hmm. Well, of course, we're Westerners, so we want to know uh, the mechanics. 
Well, the Bible itself, by talking about all these other people, unless Eve was incredibly busy, um, and I don't think the Bible doesn't say she was because they hadn't had their third child yet, um, that we are, the Bible is literally telling us not to read this like a high school history textbook. This is not straight line video camera history. This is highly symbolized parabolic history, which means that often you're looking at characters that they may or may not be historical, but they are also speaking collectively. And this is very, very important. And so um, when we talk about what about the dinosaurs, that question only makes sense if you assume the world was created in seven days and is only 6,400 years old. Um, And I think the Bible tells us that, again, since we're not looking at Western-style high school textbook history, and days can mean epics and large periods of time as much as they can mean 24-hour days, that the Bible is giving us clues that it's not talking about the logistical construction of the universe or the earth. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's talking about why God made it. Yeah. So, for example, I believe evolution created all of this, and the dinosaurs were billions of years old. I think the old, earth is also way longer than 6,400 years old. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I believe that God's sovereignly guided evolution... I have no idea where Adam and Eve fit in that. Um, they could be everything from historical figures to symbols. By the way, just a little humility here. Uh, I think I mentioned this before. If I go to heaven and I run in literally into Cain and Abel and his wife and Adam and Eve, my response is, okay. Mm-hmm. I don't need to have my idea be right at the expense of the Bible. Mm-hmm. But as I read the Bible, it doesn't appear to me that it's trying to give a line-by-line account. And rather, um, Genesis 1 does not challenge the, the-, the theory of evolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it sits very nicely in that theory, just as it has sat nicely in other ways of thinking about creation. Yeah. And it sounds like you're saying also that um, even if it's not literal scientific history, mm-hmm. um, it doesn't mean it's not true. The, 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 yeah. the message it's communicating isn't mm-hmm. true. And for example, let's say it's all symbols. Well, we still have humanity created in God's image, male and female, and God calling it very good and God moving in. Mm-hmm. And we know their names aren't Adam and Eve because Adam is the generic term for humanity and then Ish and Isha are the terms for male and female. Yeah. So already there's another literary clue that we're looking at something larger than people named Adam and Eve. Um, the, the second thing um, is let's, let's say that, that Cain and Abel are symbolic. Well, okay, uh, sibling rivalry, anyone? Yeah. <laughs> Avoidance of responsibility, anyone? You know, I mean, these are stories about hu- how humans behave, and it's perfectly possible they could be literal historical stories. I mean, God can do any- what he pleases. I just don't think Scripture tells me that they're literal historical stories. I think mm-hmm. God's inerrant word is telling me to read it a different way. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, okay, this next one is, um, they say, we're wondering why God, God bothered to put these few verses in the Bible, because mm-hmm. they kind of sound like, oh, by the way, pieces mm-hmm. of information. Um, but does it relate to anything else? And it's from Genesis 6, 1 through 5. I'm going to read that really quick. Mm-hmm. And then the questions that are being asked. Yeah. So Genesis 6, 1 through 5. When human began, beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married them 
Um, uh, sorry, I'm losing my place. And they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, my spirit will not contend with that, with humans forever, for they are mortal. Okay. Their days will be mm-hmm. 120 years. Then it goes, the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of humans' hearts were only on evil all the time. So the questions were, Mm -hmm. who were the sons of God Mm -hmm. and who were the Nephilim? Mm -hmm. Uh, just to, to start us off. Okay. Quick question. What translation did you read? The NIV. The NIV is a fantastic translation, one of my favorites. Okay. Here they biff it. Okay. Let me read it closer to the to the Hebrew. I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version, and I'm going to, a couple spots, insert sort of the basic definition of the Hebrew word. Okay. So, and I won't read the whole thing, but just the very beginning. When people begin to multiply on the face of the ground... And daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw them, and they looked good to them, and they took them and, mm. and for themselves and all they chose. The whole marrying them, there's not in there. It literally says, and they took them. Um, there's no, even the word wives is not even in there. They says that he took women for themselves. And that goes back to that pattern that you talked about yeah. in the sin mm-hmm. episode, which yeah. was God saw something, it was good, he blessed it, whereas mm-hmm. humans, we saw it, it was good, we took it. Yep. And so this is actually, I used to think the same thing. Well, what's this passage for? You know, And until we started reading, uh, well, this is the, the brilliant thing about, uh, we're going to sing the praises of Tim Mackey. I mean, now they're going to start mocking us like with, you know, when we talk about N.T. Wright. Yeah. Um, but he has sort of brought in the tradition of modern Judaism, which has preserved the idea of reading and looking for literary forms and patterns and connections that for some reason we lost as Christians. And, and so, you know, when, you know, so even heavyweight theologians would read through this and go, whatever, and they can keep moving. Where if we know what you just saw, you know, Adam and Eve, see, it looks good, they take. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there's a variation on that with Cain, where Cain sees, it gets angry, and he takes a life. You know, so so there's, it's, it's a little bit of a variation. Um, and then here, so the sons of God, whatever they might be, see... The daughters of men, which is a fancy way for saying women, and they take women for themselves, all that they chose, you know. And so you you you're getting this taking going on. So it's reinforcing a literary pattern. Okay, so what the heck are the sons of God? They can be one of two things. Um, they are either kings who think they're divine, and a lot of the ancient Middle Eastern cultures they worship their kings as either divine or semi-divine. Pharaoh was regarded as the son of a god. Um, the emperor of Babylon was regarded as the son of a god. Um, all the way to Caesar, Augustus Caesar called himself son of God, Lord and Savior. You know, and so um, there's been that tendency for rulers to think of themselves as somehow godlike or god. Um, so that's one thing, and and you could see those because these are often despots. Um, you go all the way to Persia with King Xerxes. What does he do? He sees Esther, likes what he sees, and takes her. You know, and and so that legitimates their ability to treat people like things. And then what comes out of them is very nasty. You know, I mean, let's just make this like no supernatural component whatsoever. And then you get the Nephilim. Well, that word means the ones who are fallen. Well. Mm. If my daddy raped my mommy and then treated her like trash, and then I'm born, 
I'm probably going to come out with a whole lot of need for therapy. And that's if that's not dealt with well, I'm probably going to come out and do nasty things to other people. I'm at least going to be a narcissist, might wind up being a sociopath. I'll probably solve things through violence. And, and, and I will be a, a wreck of a human being and create a wreck of a human misery all by myself. So that's one way to read it. And I think it's a legitimate way. Another way is that sons of God is also a technical term for uh, the, the created spiritual beings that God made. We often call them angels and demons. And here, these sons of God are not behaving, so we can conclude they're rogue angels, a.k.a. demons. And so we would say that these spiritual beings who ha- have rebelled against God see human women and they rape them. And then what comes out of them is this weird combination of sort of demonic human children. And once again, even without the demonic stuff, unless somebody intervenes, they're going to create a whole big mess. And if you keep reading the story, these Nephilim, these fallen ones, then become these violent warriors who found empires of violence and oppression. And so this feeds into the Hebrew understanding of these violent empires as having demonic juice behind them. Uh, I mean, people have constantly made the observation that Hitler must have had supernatural help because no human being was capable of all the damage he did. Hmm. And so um, Jewish thinking was, heck yeah, you know, and, and... and then they also um, talk about how some of their descendants turned out to be giants. So, for example, um, and they will describe them using serpent language. Like if you were to look at Goliath, his armor is described in using the language of a serpent to remind you of the serpent in Genesis 3 or the chaos monsters that come out of the water that present as serpents. Mm-hmm. So you get all these literary connections between serpents, um, you know, evil, semi-supernatural people. And again, if you think literarily, if, if you have a story in, 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 in the way you see the world about evil, semi-supernatural people, you're taking a heavy jab at all the kings of the other empires. Mm. You know, so so you, you can see how, once again, this, this way of writing plays out. I don't think you need it to be supernatural to, to get the observation that when the powerful oppress the powerless, you get more oppression in the next generation. Mm-hmm. But also, I think there's a strong warrant to say, yeah, um, like the serpent who is a rebellious angel, here comes some more, and look at the damage they're doing. So, and part of that, uh, that, that all, that all mm-hmm. makes sense, yeah. part of this question was, the Nephilim, are they, are they good or bad? Or is it a good thing or bad thing? Mm-hmm. Because at the end it says, end of verse 4, Mm-hmm. They were heroes of old, men of renown. Mm-hmm. So they were, they were people who were born of these mm-hmm. messed up relationships. Uh-huh. But then, is it saying that God redeemed them somehow? Ah, this is interesting. Once again, we have a translation problem, and my NRSV perpetuates the problem because okay. the word heroes, that word is just mighty or powerful. Um, it's gibor, and, and another term for the nephilim is the giborim, which means the big, mighty. You know, sometimes it's translated giants. So hero puts a positive slant on it that the word isn't giving us. Hmm. And then warriors actually here is just men. So it is these powerful men, and then renown is of a name, which means they have a reputation. 
In other words, people, you know, everybody knows, stand back, get away from these people. Mm-hmm. So what you've got is these violent, powerful, and warriors sticks, although that's not a word in there. Let's just say violent, powerful people, and they got a reputation. And then at the end, so this, this, instead of this being a, a throwaway passage, which mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with this person who wrote it in, that it mm-hmm. does kind of seem like an unusual passage. Yeah. But the last verse says um, that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was on evil all the time. So this mm-hmm. is almost kind of like a uh, sort of a history of sin becoming rampant everywhere. Oh, yeah. Is that, is that right? Like it's, it's mm-hmm. sin is really taking off. Mm-hmm in the world. Yep. People often, especially Christians, ask the question, you know, uh, Southern Baptists have often been puzzled over the term racism because it's, it's often referred to as a systemic evil. And, and, and for them, and, and I would say a lot of American Christians, that the only categories of sin are personal. There's no such thing as a sin of a community mm-hmm. or a sin of, of an institutional sin or a structural sin. In fact, the Southern Baptists declared there's no such thing as racism. There's only individual prejudice. Hmm. But here we see that the Bible actually um, understands sin can be systemic or structural because you get the Nephilim, the fallen ones, they create these big monster empires. And we saw earlier, you know, with the empire of Lamech and Enoch and, and Cain. And, and so then the whole culture is evil. And so, it, so normal, just like when you have a messed up family system, normal can be crazy which means the whole family gets crazy altogether. Well, so a whole culture gets crazy altogether. And so, you know, and so this violence then just becomes the way people are. It's just the, it's just the way we do things, you know, and, um, you know, you think of the wild, wild west, it couldn't, it wasn't any problem, couldn't be solved at the end of a gun, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the Lord looks at this and he sees, uh, and, and I love this because the word wickedness is just badness. It's just, ra is the word, and it just means just evil, bad, awful. It's a catastrophe. It's a train wreck, you know, and, and it's, it's not, you know, and, and wickedness is also part of it, but it's this very big word that says it's all collapsing. And, and, and so, you know, God is looking at everything just sort of collapsing in on itself, and every inclination of the thoughts of the hearts, and this is the, the seat of values, you know, is non-stop bad. So evil and wicked are, are both ra. And, and, and so then I, I love the next line, and this is a hinge into the flood. We won't go there. But then the, it's so bad that it says the Lord was sorry he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. Just a little aside, if you read through the, the flood, we are not going to do that, but there's one emotion that God doesn't experience, and that's anger. But his heart is broken that this has cut God to the quick to watch humanity collapse this way. And whether it's because it had a supernatural push with rebellious angels or just really nasty kings who thought they could play with girl toys, you know, either way, it's obscene, it's, it's outrageous. And if you think we can't do it, Holocaust. Mm-hmm. Or 16 million Native Americans dead, mm-hmm. you know, in North America. Or... 12 million fellow Soviets in the Soviet Union, you know. Mm-hmm. In the, 20, the 20th century was the most bloodiest century in, in record. So we're still capable of this kind of mass evil. Yeah, and so I actually just had a conversation with someone recently mm-hmm. when they asked a question about um, 
Noah and the flood. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what's coming right after these five verses yeah. is Noah and the flood. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like it's setting up how evil the world was mm-hmm. that then led to flooding of the earth yeah. and getting rid of this wickedness. Yeah. Right. And, and yeah. it almost shows the, the why behind mm-hmm. the what of the flood. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, while we're going there just for fun, this is the symbols. Uh, first of all, the flood is a very difficult passage for most modern people to read. Many people reject Christianity because of the flood story. You worship a God who, who freely commits genocide when things don't work out. Um, so that's that we, we, you know, we have to be humble before this passage and not come up with an easy answer when people are honestly asking, why is this in the Bible? Mm-hmm. Um, what makes it troubling is this flood then becomes a key metaphor story, both for the sacrifice system, but also it's part of creation. And if you were to look at it literarily, you would discover that basically God says, so you all want to be your own gods and and create your own creation. Well, already they're discreating, right? Mm -hmm. Well, God says, well, why don't we just go all the way? And at that point, the waters from above collapse into the waters from below and the land recedes. And you can see it's an undoing of Genesis 1, 1 through 4. You know, and so it's a discreation. It's like, well, if you want to run the joint, good luck. I'll just hand you the keys. Mm. And what do the people do? They get in, in the Mustang and crash the car. Um, and literally, it's a cosmic crash where everything just goes away. The other thing is you'll see symbol of, of, of cleansing. So literally, God gives the earth a bath to clean out the pollution that the humans have caused. Um which is, is actually increases the problem for us because this is not just a funny little story we can dismiss, but it becomes one of the central metaphors of that has to do with God's response to oppression and injustice and evil. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly, I, I don't think I solved the problem of Genesis of the flood as much as intensified the problem. Maybe that's future episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Um, mm-hmm. So this question. Uh, says were were people meant to live forever before the fall? So mm-hmm. this we talked about in the the Lent mm-hmm. kind of Ash Wednesday, um, you know the saying of uh, you are dust and to dust you shall return, which mm-hmm. kind of comes from Genesis two, where God forms man out of the dust, mm-hmm. um, and then after the fall, that's where the saying comes from that yeah. that we that we recite as we put the ashes on is. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. No. Um, but then, at the same time, God says, "Don't eat of that tree, because mm-hmm. you'll you'll surely die." Mm-hmm. And then we talked about how you know they don't they don't instantly physically die; yeah. they die spiritually in in their relationship with God. But then, obviously, Adam and Eve are not still walking around here, mm-hmm. so they they did die physically at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so back to the question: Were people meant to live forever before the fall? Yeah, and again, when I look especially at the New Testament, um, um, it's interesting. One way to answer it is the New Testament thinks so. Um, but I would say all the way through, um, death is one of the byproducts of us rebelling from God. Now, once again, it isn't like God saying, if you break my rule that you shouldn't eat from that tree, then I will kill you. Mm-hmm. It's more like, everything's great. Don't eat that thing. It's toxic. It'll kill you. Mm-hmm. And again, let's let's look at it symbolically because I believe that's how God wants this passage to be read. Um, hmm, boy, better stand back from the lightning. Uh, 
better not be that you know that sure about what God wants. But um, but I, I do think the literary clues. So we have the tree of life. And we have the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or the tree of knowing good and bad would be the way it would be in Hebrew. Um, just the way, again, the rest of the Bible works those two trees, they seem to have strong symbolic value where the tree of life turns out to be God himself. So if they are, quote, eating of the tree of life, it means they're partaking in God's life. And God's life is an eternal life. So it appears that humans are meant to literally partake of God's life. So that, I think, is why the rest of the Bible resonates that as long as they're partaking of God's life, then they're going to live with God as long as God lives, which, a.k.a. forever. But then they, they go to another tree, which is our partaking of their own, it's their own life, literally. In other words, this is where they decide for themselves about what's good, what's evil. Literally, they become their own gods. So what they do is they decide, instead of partaking of God's own life, that their own life is sufficient for survival or life. And, and again, because we were never made to be gods, uh, we can't keep our batteries charged. And, and then the other thing is it says, you, should, you know, this tree will kill you. Well, it's very interesting. So how do humans die? Well, let's just go to Genesis 4. Yeah, it does kill them. Humans kill each other off. So when God says, don't eat that, it'll kill you. Yeah. Not because God's going to kill you, but because humans are going to kill you. And then because your batteries can't keep you charged, you're going to die of dang things like old disease, like disease and wearing out because you're not being renewed by God's life. You know, because we chose autonomy and autonomy from God is death. Mm -hmm. Now, what I find fascinating, just as a total aside, is the whole goal of the Enlightenment philosophical project is human autonomy. Mm-hmm. You know, man is the measure of all things. I think because therefore I am, or Frank Sinatra, my favorite philosopher, I did it my way, you know. Mm -hmm. Look how that's gotten us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, uh, my question on this is, mm -hmm. is there any significance to us being created from dust then? Mm -hmm. Because I've heard it argued that since we were originally created from dust, then mm -hmm. we were always meant to be temporary. And that there was some mm -hmm. there was some meaning behind the dust as as being temporary beings. I don't know if you can find that in scripture. Okay. Um, now it is the case that we are now temporary. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um, I think the whole thing is from the dust, or you can also say from 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 the ground. Um, is that you have you know you have the rulers of the sky. And those would be the supernatural beings that God created, angels and etc. And then you have the uh, the water. You have the you basically you have the sky sky creatures, water creatures. Then you have the crawlers, and we're the earthers mm -hmm. um, or the grounders. And, and and what is interesting is, is so God takes from the undifferentiated dust. It's again a chaos symbol, right? And then he separates the dust from the dust, and then he creates order, you know, eyes, ears, noses, fingers, toes, you know. And so in a lot of ways, we are a, a microcosm of what he's done on a cosmic scale, mm -hmm. um, which is interesting. So he's, we are the evidence of order out of chaos. And so from dust you came, dust you will return, yeah, you're going to collapse back into chaos. Mm -hmm. And that will be physical death when you decompose, but it'll also be what you do to yourself. Mm -hmm. 
So it, it, it's like this incredibly thick statement that you can just ponder forever. In other words, you know, so we, we want human autonomy, but that means you're going to have to, you're going to collapse into chaos. And not only that, biologically, your body will collapse into chaos. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one here, uh, probably got time for a couple more. Uh, do cleanliness laws still apply? And that was from our sin episode mm-hmm. um, where you talked about the different kind of kinds of laws. Yeah. Um, also with the baptism being, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the, the laws were, the cleanliness laws were about um, getting the, the death off you. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily that, yeah. you, that you sinned, mm-hmm. but it was getting the death off you. Right. Um, and they were also about separation. So, for example, you didn't eat certain fowl if they had a certain kind of foot. Mm-hmm. You know, and the same thing was true. I think you, you don't eat certain kinds of things that um, people would eat normally for cattle or not cattle, but, you know, for meat. Mm-hmm. So th- some of those were also symbolic distinctions. In other words, God's creating a unique, a unique people even in their diet habits. But yeah, the majority of this stuff was about washing off death. So Jesus says twice, well, you know, he, there's a big incidence where he says, it's not what goes in you that makes you unclean, it's what comes out of you. And then, uh, I can't remember which gospel, but then the gospel writer says, and do, by saying this, he declared all things clean. Okay, so Jesus declares all things clean. The Bible author makes it explicit in case the reader doesn't get it. And then in Acts, um, Peter receives a vision where he's told to eat unclean animals. He refuses, and he gets the vision three times before it gets through his noggin. God is talking to him. And, and again, it's also, then, then lo and behold, some messengers from an unclean Roman general come and say, um, God told us to get you so that our master can hear about Jesus. And that's Cornelius. So what's going on there? And this is a larger discussion of what does and does not apply from the law. And once again, we, we get into, are we asking the question from a, a Western vantage point or from a Hebrew vantage point? And I love the way the Bible Project put it, is yes and no, or all and nothing. And so two things. Number one, I'll just, uh, I'm going to just address this directly just so I don't get lost in the weeds. Mm-hmm. So Jesus declared all things clean. The cleanliness laws still apply, but everything's clean. So if Jesus did what he did, I think it's pretty clear he did, that means all foods are kosher, that he took away the touch of death. And now this is powerful. Death can't render us unclean anymore. Mm. It's almost a resurrection symbol that he did ahead of time. Before, ritually, there were certain things that could put the touch of death on you, that you had to get washed off. Nothing can put the touch of death on us because Jesus has taken care of that at the cross. Mm. And therefore, there is no need for a ritual to go through where death got on you and now you have to wash it off because death can't get on you anymore. Yeah. And, and, and so that's the bigger thing. But even if that's not an interpretation, you know, that was a reflection that I was just thinking about, you know, whether that's the way you would see it or not. Um, it, it still is a, a declaration that all things are kosher. Now, that having been said, yes, you are now free to eat porky on Passover, but it is incredibly bad taste, so I'd recommend against it. Yeah. Stick with the lamb or the chicken. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Does that make sense of that? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, okay. 
I know it was said Adam did not name his counterpart and they were created as equals. How does that change after the fall when God says to Eve, your husband will rule over you in Genesis 3.16? Mm-hmm. This is really important because a lot of American Christians go to this and say that, well, it says in the Bible, so then the husband should. And, and, and this is a glorious case of not reading around. Hmm. Again, this is sort of that whole idea that the Bible is just an instruction manual. But this thing sits in a narrative. This is, a, a, this is God in the middle of a story talking about the consequences of rebellion. This is not what he wants. This is the result of human autonomy. So um, there were Lewis Smedes, which was a Christian psychologist. He said, you know, before our first parents rebelled, then the way they related to each other was to love and to cherish. Um, but then when, um, when they, they rebelled, then it became to, to dominate and possess and so what we get here is um, your desire shall be for your husband. In other words, your desire to possess your husband as like a toy or a thing. And his desire is going to be to lord it over you. And we know through history, and this is a stat, this isn't true of all cases, that the way men resolve challenges is by dominating. And, and, it's, and it's because men aren't very relationally skilled as a, as a group. Many exceptions, but as a group, where it seems that the way women assert control over their environment is more relationally driven manipulation. Now, there's plenty of women who dominate and men who manipulate. So this is not, you know, we're not going to get into sexist categories. But I think what it says is relationships go wrong and everybody will start trying to control the other in various ways. So this is not a this is not on how you should order the family. No, this is a d- description of a dysfunctional family. Mm. Because we know, especially Paul makes it explicit that we're to serve each other as, you know, Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and then we are also to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, and that also means that's what was going on before the fall. And we again the big three words of how to rule and subdue, serve watch over, care for, and have each other's back. Mm-hmm. Um, and very clearly, this is not that. So it's almost saying that, like, because that creation episode was was a uh, uh, an anti... The creation narrative is, a, is an anti-Babylonian myth or anti-Assyrian mm-hmm. uh, myth or whatever it is, yeah. um, who said that creation came from these dysfunctional relationships. Mm-hmm. It's almost like it's a callback to that, to saying, because sin has entered the world these relationships are going to be like they're not supposed to be. Exactly. exactly. We could put it this way, keeping the Babylonian creation story in our heads. Mm-hmm. So originally, uh, humans were, uh, were created to reflect the character of their creator, God, Yahweh. Well, now in the rebellion, they reflect a, a creator, yeah, but now it's Marduk and Tiamat. You know, Marduk's the dominator and Tiamat's the chaos monster. Mm. You know, so, you know... <laughs> Yeah, they're in somebody's image, just the wrong, the mm-hmm. wrong somebody's. That's good. Um, I think we got time for one more cool. here, um, and this is just kind of a good one to, to, to kind of asking more a question of of your faith and how this has all shaped your faith. But mm-hmm. um, this person says you study on this topic a lot, and it's specifically referring to the creation story. Uh, but maybe we could open up to all the topics we've talked mm-hmm. about. What uh, piece of the creation story still brings you surprise or inspiration that God did this for us? I would say uh, that God moved in. I was recently reflecting on, what was it, John 14 or such, where it says, abide in me. 
as, as I abide in you and as my Father and I make our home in you. And that just moves me because it's like God feels so at home with us that he makes his home in us and then invites us to feel so at home with him that we make our home in him. And, and, and you know, and, and right close to that is another thing I ponder nonstop is if the, the almighty, glorious, eternal God of the universe runs his shop by serving, watching over and caring for, and helping, then that means the structure of the universe is far different than the way we imagine. And then, you know, likewise, if he if he determined human community to reflect the way he runs the universe, that is so far away from how we organize human community. I mean, the first question almost always in any organization is who's in charge? Where God's like, well, well who's the servant who's responsible for everything? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's a very different way of thinking, you know, and again, you know, the God's exercise of power is so insane where when God finally wants to do away with everything that opposes him, he doesn't go and slaughter things. He goes and dies. I mean, that's just weird. Mm-hmm. And, and so those are the two things that just keep me pondering. God moves in and then the, just the way God rules and subdues is, <laughs> yeah. he runs the shop very differently than we run our shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm continually amazed this question wasn't asked to me, but I'm going to answer it a little bit. It's, it. I continually amazed at at least the first four episodes, we chose mm-hmm. these, these five topics and the, um, interconnectedness of all of them yeah. and how complex it is, um, and how you can just continually, like I've been a Christian a long time. You can continually read and hear these things and see it from a new, deeper perspective mm-hmm, each mm-hmm. and every time. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, we've both been through seminary. We've both mm-hmm. worked in the church for a long time. Yeah. We, like, and you still uh, get something new out of it. And even if yeah. you know, if, if we're thinking about the creation episode, if we reduce it to just a mm-hmm. science textbook, mm-hmm. it's much more amazing than yeah. a science textbook. Oh, it just blows it, my mind. And and to to kind of wrap in the the baptism, which I feel like that element of it um, has been a thread through almost all of these episodes mm-hmm, in some mm-hmm. way or another. Yeah. Um, and it goes back to like God wanting to meet us right there. And I like how you said he moved in. So I think yeah. that's a good way to end it. Any other thoughts before we wrap up this episode? Uh, I don't know. I'm just blown away by scripture again. I mean, every time we just talk about this stuff, I, I feel like I, I get taught. You know, and, and I, I love the questions you ask. Um, and now I know these are not the questions from you; they're from from our reader, our listeners. Yeah. Um, but just in our conversation, I learned so much, and, and I love the way you you challenge my thinking. Mm. Um, that to me, which which means the Bible is best read with you know in community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that that way we don't go off and, and invent our own Kool Aid. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of what we've been saying with this. So we, yeah. I really appreciate everyone who sent in questions. Unfortunately, we weren't able, weren't, weren't able to get to every one of them, but um, we're going to try to keep addressing those maybe in future episodes in different ways. Yeah. Um, so if you do have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email. Um, my email is eric.payton, and that's Eric with a C, Peyton with an E, at hopewdm.org, and just include the subject line Word with Web. That'll help me kind of sort things out and, and um, keep track of those. But we've got a lot of cool episodes coming up uh, in this first season, so we look forward to uh, doing this again. You bet. You bet.